0: Hi, you're listening to a podcast from the Galton Institute Conference from 2019, all about the ancient history of Britain, which was held at the Royal Society. Sir Walter Bodmer is a geneticist and a cancer researcher, and he's been using genetics to look at the structure of British populations and what this might mean for our understanding of migration.
1: Uh, It's been a topic of interest because so many people, and I'm one of them, are interested in where they come from, what the differences are, what led to the structure of an existing population. And I turn that into an interest is where does the genetics come into that. And I'm a geneticist by training, so it's natural for me. And And my training was originally in population genetics, which is the study of genetic variation in human populations.
0: So tell me about the project you are here talking about today.
1: The main project I'm talking about is called POBI, People of the British Isles. And it was a study to try and find out the genetic structure of the population. So we went to different parts of the country in rural areas, picking people all four of whose grandparents came from roughly the same area. uh, And then we took a blood sample and we analyzed the DNA for these genetic markers that we call SNPs. And you can get half a, a million of them. Uh, for each person and then you can say if you take any two people how similar are they with respect to those genetic differences and not only the differences but whether genetic differences that are close together on the chromosomes are more likely to be the same than not. Uh, And when you use quite sophisticated statistical approaches, you can then cluster people and say, here's a group of people who are more similar to each other within the group than they are to anyone not in the group. And then you can go and say, what's the next largest cluster? And that way, we eventually came up with with 17 clusters that were of reasonable size. And all of that was done purely with the genetics. And then we said, where do those people come from? So we mapped the clusters on the map of the British Isles and using a different symbol, a single symbol for each person, but a different type of symbol according to the genetic cluster, a big red square, a purple circle and so on. And the striking thing was the tight correlation between the genetic clusters and the geographic clustering, much more than we'd expected. So that even people in Cornwall and Devon showed a difference.
0: What does this tell us about the way people are um, moving around the country?
1: It first of all says that they don't move around all that much, otherwise we wouldn't see that stability of structure. It also tells us, in a way, with subsequent, we, we then said, well, how do these structures relate to where the people might have come from in different parts of Europe? Uh, and so we had European data like that. So we could say, how do the British clusters match up by combinations of the European clusters and that would tell us that for instance the Welsh are very different, they have mainly things that come from northern uh, France and West Germany uh, and areas like that and that all the makeup of the British is very much dependent if you just match it to the current populations uh, around the British Isles, the, the immediately closest coastal areas so that tells us something about where they might have come from and relates it to the history. So Orcadians, people from Orkney, are are the most different from everyone else and why they had a Norse kingdom for 500 years and that's the effect of the Viking incursions. But they still have only about 25% evidence of that admixture. So the Vikings came but they also intermarried and that's true of the Anglo-Saxons as well.
0: This, that's quite striking then, the fact that people aren't, they're sort of getting to where they like in, in the country and then they're just sitting down and staying.
1: To a large extent, that's true. Of course, we, we selected the population to represent that. So if you go into the cities, any big city in London or anywhere else, apart from admixture from recent you know, colonial a mixture from India, Pakistan and the Afro-Caribbean, which of course we left out because we were not looking at that. Um, then people went went to the cities to get jobs and that mixed up where they came from originally. So it does tell you quite a lot. We, in one case, we even had someone who came from Blackburn. Now, I was brought up in Manchester, and I know Blackburn's just north of Manchester, but we collected that sample in Scotland. Then we looked at the map, there's a Blackburn near Aberdeen, and that's where the person came from. So we could even tell, although the differences are very small, they're significant, we could even tell where someone came from based on, on the genetics to a fair extent.
0: Why do you think there wasn't a big movement across places?
1: The, the nature of human occupation is that people settle in relatively small groups and it used to be villages and you tend to find your mates in the same village or the neighbouring village. So there's not a lot of movement. The movements came with more transport, uh, with the industrial revolution which is relatively recent, people from Cornwall going to do mining up in the, uh, in the north country somewhere. But then the other thing recently, and that's not working. I've been involved in, it's been possible to take very old DNA samples from skeletons that go back you know, a few thousand years and get enough DNA from them to get some analysis of what their genetics is. The trouble with it is it it's can't be as precise because it's very difficult and it's remarkable how it's been done. Uh, and there have been some claims that some of those samples uh, suggest a complete replacement By people who came into Britain relatively recently. I mean with the at the time the farmers first came and then later when people called the beaker folk who had a different culture came. And I find that very difficult to accept. So I I, uh, don't think they've really shown that. They haven't shown enough of a similarity between those people and what you might expect from the modern British population. Uh, And they what matters hugely is where you get your samples from and if you go to graves often with artifacts and associated with particular cultures you're really often getting a sampling of an elite subgroup of the population that don't represent the population as a whole the farmers and the peasants they're the whole and when we look at what we do we look at the whole population and so I think they found interesting observations but that reflect small subgroups that may have had quite an influence on what happened, but didn't really mix a lot with the local population.
0: Why did you, when you did sampling, why did you sample people whose grandparents were in the area as well? Because
1: you want people, you sample people whose four grandparents in the same area, because you want people who represent the area from which they come from. And the further back you go in time, the more likely you are to find people who are not affected by a lot of movements with the Industrial Revolution. So you're really representing people from where they come from. It's no good going into a big town. You won't get the people representing where they come from. Uh, And then you can't find out those differences. It's more difficult. Although recent studies of a very large uh, part of the British population have suggested that the structures you find if you look at those are roughly speaking similar to what, what we found, but we can look at it in much more detail because of the way we sampled and the way we analysed the data.
0: And uh, I know people in various counties have various ideas about people maybe in neighbouring counties and the amount of, uh, let's say, inbreeding that happens. Did you find any variation in that?
1: We did look at inbreeding, and there's no, there's no variation in the inbreeding. If you go back in history there was a much greater tendency to marry someone with a chance who might have some relationship to you because you're you're looking for people who live in your own village or in the neighboring village. And inevitably, they're likely to be more similar. So there's a measure of that similarity that always happens. So uh, this notion that you've got a lot more inbreeding in one place than another, generally speaking, unless Of course, there are certain groups, for instance, in the Middle East and often some of the Arab countries where there's a a tradition of marriage between cousins, first cousins and so on. Um, And that probably was commoner anyway in in the past. Um, But you can look for that and and we showed that that doesn't distort the results that that we get.
0: What was the biggest surprise from this study?
1: The biggest surprise is that we could take people who were matched by their genetics and they tended to live in the same place. Now, we expected that to some extent, but we certainly didn't expect it even to uh, separate Devon and Cornwall, and very strikingly separate North and South Wales from. And even within South Wales give an indication of what's often called Little England beyond Wales, which are, are people who were settled there by Henry II you know, in the 12th century, something like that. Uh, and they're still showing differences from the rest of the population. This notion that people move around hugely is, is I think, often totally m- misplaced. Of course you can get big movements in time and and you know, if you, you heard the earlier talks today, when the Ice Age came, the people who were there, the humans, they certainly moved back because they couldn't survive when it was that cold. And so you get movements up and down that way. But that you're talking over periods of, very long periods of time, minimum of a thousand or more years.
0: That was Sir Walter Bodmer from Oxford University there on the insights from the people of the British Isle project. And he was speaking at the Galton Institute conference, New Light on Old Britons. You can find out more about the Institute and watch short videos from other conference speakers online at galtoninstitute.org.uk. This podcast was produced by me, Georgia Mills, for First Create the Media. And the music was Drops of H2O by Jay Lang, which was licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution License. Thanks for listening.